Every student is unique. Every student learns differently and every student matters. This is Idea Exchange, the future of K-12 education series, brought to you by Macmillan Paston Smith Architecture. Schools and districts are always being called on to enhance their learning environments, demonstrate student achievement, and foster equitable outcomes across their communities. How does a school or a district continue to systematically adapt to the needs of students, parents, teachers, and even the community members they serve? School administrators and boards are tasked with navigating this constant change that our communities rightfully demand. Dorchester School District 2 in Somerville, South Carolina has seen tremendous change over the last three decades. Economic growth in the area has resulted in more students and an ongoing need for more schools. The school district's high academic achievement through those changes has been a foundation in attracting industries to the area and teachers and parents to the Tri-County areas of Charleston, Berkeley, and Dorchester counties. It's also required significant and multiple school investment planning efforts through the years. During his 22 years as superintendent of Dorchester School District 2, Mr. Joe Pye has led the school district through these changes as superintendent. In his words, he's doing the best for every student with the tools he has at his disposal. Those tools, have successfully planned and implemented multiple large-scale building programs from the early 2000s to present, literally hundreds of millions of dollars in school improvements for his districts. Today, he's joining our conversation about preparing for and managing through continuous change in his organization. His approach to school improvements, and I hope, offers some insights into communicating to all stakeholders uh, throughout any given district. Mr. Pye, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. You have such a very deep career as a teacher and administrator uh, and certainly as a superintendent. In fact, you're probably one of the, if not the longest serving superintendents in South Carolina right I'm now. I'm the now. youngest, long, longest serving Youngest, longest guy. Got, that's got a, got a good fact to, that's a good fact to know. Um, could you perhaps start with today focusing on what you've seen change the most in education uh, overall? What stands out to you over time? In our district, I would say without a question, it's been the growth and the problems growth has brought to us with lack of funding, um, the great need. I'm a very competitive person to say that we offer the best for our district. We have a reputation of offering the most with the least amount of money, and, and we, we made that work for us, and it's been coined in the legislature and other places where people talk about budgets. Our district has been used as an example of how we stretch those dollars, but sometimes it gets very difficult, and we're always searching for ways to get funding, so I'd say f the buildings and how to get the funding um, and, and the design of the schools, because as soon as you build one, the, the attendance areas shift, and we may have growth on the other side of town, and you've overbuilt here, you got to do there, except I can't remember a time that I would say we overbuilt. Growth and then certainly technology is probably been overall in all of education. It's really changed the landscape very much in the way we teach children um, and the experiences they're now offered, and they can self-teach themselves more than ever. We can differentiate instruction. We can advance the advanced learners, could be moving ahead using the digital platforms versus um, the students who need the one-on-one -on -one, uh, emphasis from the teacher. So that's how it's changed. Right. 
So you mentioned a little bit about uh, the building, uh, too, because a school, uh, obviously, probably in the early 2000s, is different than a school building built new today. Big time. You know, we were on prototype, and I thought that was a great idea to sell to the public, but um, that works just a little bit sometimes, especially if there's enough time between them, because you have to completely redesign it. So it's almost like a new design because things were changing that fast. We designed our schools over a period of about 15 years for all these labs. We could not afford one-to-one. So therefore, we had the labs where every child could go every day, 40 minutes to the lab. And so with the one-to-one, I was able to capture 111 rooms throughout the district. 111 rooms, any way you cut it, that's two or three schools. And so that really helped us with, especially with the pandemic, currently bringing you know, a loss of some students. It gave us a little bit of breathing room to try to now tackle maybe doing something we have not done in 30 years, and that's updating our facilities, re-accommodating for the new programs that we added that we put in closets. We made the program fit what we had, and it wasn't really right for kids. But a STEM lab can't be done in a janitor's closet, and that's what we've had to deal with in our district for so long. So we do see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it's constantly changing, and you can't really depend on anything being the way it is. So it brings forth probably massive planning. A lot of stakeholders at the table within the district, um, working with people outside the district, experts. So we come together and we have the best plan. Well, you mentioned programs too, and I think that probably is one one of those significant changes that you've seen throughout your career is that um, uh, district districts offer a lot of different types of programs that they didn't offer maybe even 10 or 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. In fact, Dorchester School District 2, while it is a a top performer in the state of South Carolina, you have a passion for offering many different pathways for students. Um, I've heard you talk about career and college readiness uh, and programs in your high school, um, STEM, which you just mentioned, and then Fine and Performing Arts, which the district is is really known for uh, as well. How do you view these programs? Are they attractive to students? Do you see them continuing They're to foster? Attractive. That's why we're offering them. We feel that every child has uh, a strength. It may be athletics. It may be um, definitely fine arts. And, and we know how they impact other disciplines and other learning areas. So we want to capture the total child and try to, try to reach them in every way possible to want to come to school, to enjoy coming to school. And letting their parents see, like through performances in the fine arts, the parents can see readily, you know, another way they can assess how good our programs are versus the standardized test or the state testing or whatever that we get data from there. But I've seen the the STEM labs um, now, STEM period, we're trying to really get get our female students more engaged. Um, They are in all all groups that have been underserved for many years. We're trying to get that balance equity throughout our school district. But I'm most proud of what we've done with our career technology uh, and um, at the high school levels, those courses that we put in that you build it, they will come. And a perfect example was we were doing an award-winning culinary arts program in one of our high schools. The other high school wanted it, so we planned to visit. I took all three principals with me. And the principal of Somerville High School, the largest school in, uh, in our district, and the about the third largest high school in the state, Noel High School. He um, he went along. We went, we went to various places around the district looking at these labs, and he was impressed. When we got to the last one, I can't remember which district it was in, but he was blown away. 
And he said, you know, because he told me earlier, I'll come on the trip, but I don't wish to offer that in our school. I don't think it's needed, and I don't think it'll be popular. Well, it was doing all right. The one school we had it, they're winning awards, but nobody was asking me to add extra teachers. They were getting by with two, two teachers. Well, at the end of that visit, he came, comes to me and says, I, I've got to have this. I think this is going to, this is, can really connect. And we're in the hospitality um, center of the world in Charleston, South Carolina, and we think that we can really prepare kids for this. And it gives them an alternative, if nothing else, just life skills of how to take care of themselves and cook and do this. And, and we can make it a fun experience uh, for the kids too. So we started out, and it was like four years ago maybe. Um, you were part of that, so I can't sure. remember the time. But maybe four years ago, we had zero students we, and zero teachers. We have four teachers. We need a fifth one, but we have no place to put them. Again, we've outgrown it. We have over 500 going to 600 students from zero four years ago. So build it, they will come. That's so That's so very interesting. That's a great story. Culinary is just one of them, and I know that because of our work together, is that aeronautics is another one, manufacturing Manufacturing is, is another big one. We brought right. the community in on that and said, you know, we, it's hard to find teachers. It's it's a hard, it's a very expensive program. You don't, you're taking a, you know, quantum leap. We know this is needed for workforce development, but can we get the kids hooked into this? Are they going to want to do this? And the community helped us. We raised all the funding for all the equipment that's in the building. We paid for the building. Um, they did the rest. And again, those programs are full. We have the best teacher in South Carolina. So I was worried about having an instructor. I got the best one. And he's brought in his friends. So we have quite a department there, too. That's another one. We go on down to our horticultural program that's over at Ashley Ridge. It's not like any other one in the state. It's not you just got a little, you got a greenhouse and you got a garden. No, 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 no. We have multiple gardens, multiple greenhouses. We have nice restrooms out there. We have pathway ADA compliant sidewalks all through. I mean, it is a, a maze of wonderful stuff and animals, all these farm animals that have become pets of the school. And you can go visit sometime and they have them in the building. <laughs> they come in out of the, out of the, off the campus there. But another popular one that started with one part-time teacher that was in landscaping, wasn't even certified. Now we have three, three instructors I know been looking at a fourth one there. Again, we haven't turned students away. Um, it's just, it is packed. That's tremendous growth. We're, in all we're down, you know, where you wouldn't think that program would sell. But it's very popular. We visit for people all over the state, and we're very much connected with, with um, Clemson Extension Center and stuff, and they provide wonderful support. To us. Again, everything I've mentioned, we're bringing the outside community in. They're all part of that program. So it's another way to engage our community who paid for these things now they get to see the fruits of the labor, and they're getting to advise us on how these kids are coming out of our schools, and are they prepared for the workplace, prepared for college, or the military, whatever their choice might be. Sure. Yeah, and that, that kind of uh, goes towards how things are changing from a student perspective, uh, for, for sure. And you guys have been uh, actively looking at all of those different programs. Are, is there anything on the horizon that, you're, that you think the future will hold for uh, not on ju not only just Dorchester are the things that students are are looking towards uh, as they gauge where their future is. Going. I think we probably could do a better job in our district, especially with this COVID pandemic thing that we've had here, is to prepare teachers 
I mean, people, students for the health fields. Right. Um, and, and a lot of them pay big dollars for entry level from high school if they had the right experiences. And we're really building our internship programs at all levels so kids have practical experience. Gone from the old day that you took a test to find out what your interest was and you might could take one elective, oh, four years or five years you were in high school and you, um, that was your it. No, no, now you take a core like in college that, that develops this and you can branch off into so many other things. It's not that I'm planning to be a doctor. I could be a nurse. I could be this, a tech person. I, I, it just branches out. Hospital administrator, it could do this. We've merged like the culinary arts program with um, marketing um, and, some, and food service. They're all connected. And so um, they're learning about how the fields work together. And you might have started out over here, but you can go over here if you'd like. And all of our programs are trying to turn out quality students that will have a choice to go where they want to. Their future's in their hand. They are going to be prepared for what they would like to do. And, of course, they could change their mind, but they've had so much exposure that they can take all kind of path, different pathways and still end up with their dream. Right. Well, that's so interesting about certainly moving from uh, what what we might have said 30 years ago as the vocational model uh, to really 21st century learning in this way. We, we still have access to vocational programs for our career school, and they're needed. I mean, a bricklayer is a bricklayer, and, and, and a good one is hard to find. Exactly. Welding is a very popular field. That is not what we offer in our schools at this time, but those are basic programs that is here, and we need them, and those and refrigeration and HVAC and stuff like that, HVAC and whatever, that they would, um, that those are lucrative jobs for young people. So we're offering that through the career schools. So we have a smorgasbord of courses. If we have a problem in our district, I would say we probably have too many. And we've got to maybe keep the focus on tracks. But gone are tracks in high school. It's now pathways is what we call them. And you, you can still take college courses and the elective courses merging together to give you a pathway plus what you need to graduate and what you need to get into our universities. Sure. There's so just, so as you've described, just a lot of tremendous change in the way that you view education. I think for a, in a lot of folks' minds, uh, planning for the future for a large organization, not just that program, but for an entire school district can seem kind of daunting. Um, and likely because things are always changing in, in the other respects, too. Uh, I know you face uh, political changes every year, if not uh, on a daily basis. Uh, economies uh, and the, the economic climate of, of any school district, any region uh, changes. And you mentioned this a little bit earlier is student performance, the metrics behind those and how you gauge and, and measure um, and what you're trying to get out of student performances. With all those things in mind, where do you start in kind of thinking about an entire district from, from a process uh, and planning standpoint? I start with what I hear the community saying, what they think they need, and we keep current on what, what people predict in the future maybe to look like, at least the short term. And then we um, task our staff. I meet with them weekly. I have a huge cabinet, 25. And they, we talk, they're all, from, uh, they represent all the different areas in our district. And we talk about the trends for the future. We develop a strategic plan that promotes where we, where are we and where we, where we plan to go and 
how are we going to do this in the various increments and what do we need? Then we, we share that with our community and our school board as we develop that as a plan and we refer back to it as we decide we're going to add culinary arts or we're going to drop a program. Um, let's, let's, um, let's talk about that with the school board. We get their input and they're very supportive. They may, but we have to be prepared for those hard questions. Why? Why this? What makes you think this works? So then I have to show data of how we've tracked it. Tracked, and, and we know this is what the outside community is telling us is needed. The medical field is saying they need this, they need this, and they need this. This is the highest paying job that requires only a high school diploma. We've got to make this happen for some of our kids. We've got to open those doors. A lot of kids can't afford to go to college, many of them, probably most of them. And going on the days you, we were all taught if you didn't have a college education, can't get a lucrative job. That was true. How many college students can't find a job, especially in the area they train for? So that's not necessarily the truth. You've got to have some skills. You've got to have an interest and a passion about something so that it will happen for you if you have those ingredients. And, and it's hard to teach those in school unless we expose kids to multiple things, giving them a choice. Sure. So you mentioned a little bit about that strategic vision. I think um, uh, you've mentioned before world class is kind of one of those terms uh, that really defines what you're going for uh, strategically with the school district. That's our vision, world class. And, of course, that's very difficult when everyone else, all of our community may not, they are thinking that. Maybe every industry and, you know, if they're doing it, they're not sharing it maybe with the community. But everybody's not on the same page with that. So when we talk about that, I'm sure much of our community does not understand what a world-class school district really is. It's not just high-performing. We already have that. It's, it's what we're offering. How well do our students do when they leave us is really the assessment that, that, that I don't think people really know. And all we can do is make sure we keep as many in our community as we can and they're offered those opportunities, which then the employers report back to us the success they're seeing. And the students themselves come back and tell us how exciting things went for them. The colleges, we get reports on how many of them graduated in four years or five years. We, we keep up with all those kinds of things. So our counselors constantly, when they're planning with students, every year they must plan with them. They go with what was decided on maybe in middle school, and they – Look at that. Here's what you need every one of the years to stay on track. When you got off track or now you want to change, let's talk about what that looks like and what should we change to that what you've taken will not, you know, not, not stand for anything. So a lot of work, a lot of team planning. Um, but that vision, you have to have a vision, a goal. You can't – and it's so challenging because there's so many mountains to climb. It's very easy to say. You know, we're doing real good. We're doing fine. We can't keep on adding and adding. But, no, I feel like I'm in the buffet line, and I want to taste everything on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, taking that, you know, that, that vision side, uh, too, because I think that's something that you've strongly spoken about um, before is, and, and you mentioned this a little bit, is you've got to implement it. You've got to get up that mountain uh, in some way. So, uh, you know, I'd, I'd mentioned one of the things that, that you and I and the school district have worked with recently is going on to support that strategic vision, that fact finding mission, um, that we, re so that we understand not only how you're using your schools, um, but also the conditions 
uh, of schools. Maybe you can describe that, those, those uh, fundamental things that you need to know uh, a little bit clearly and how you make that strategic plan actionable through that effort. I take great pride in knowing my district and knowing what's needed. I've been in so many of the buildings. I've worked in different ones. Um, but I've also realized the things that we keep putting on our facilities, want less, need less. Sometimes it's 20 years old. That item has been there 20 years. The money just hasn't been there. We put it all into new seats, never fixing the old seat. And so we're re- realizing that now that we've had this lull in the growth, at least temporarily, that we're trying now to divert many funds, looking at ways like impact fees and other ways that we can get funding that will help us to energi- re-energize a building program outside of necessarily just building for new seats but replacing things that no longer work for us, making the janitor's closet go away, that particular one, and it becomes a state-of-the-art lab that, that we feel. that. But we also want to build rooms knowing how much things change. I love the new terminology that I get from the architects, flex rooms. I'd like to have every room as a flex room. We can plan to use it as a seventh grade this or the sixth grade this, but can this room be changed into a lab? Can this room function as an art room? Can it be a music room? What? How can we have multiple places to locate programs or add to them? Since the schools are large, we may start with one art teacher. Now we need a second one. Where's a second room in the building that would, without taking like a kindergarten room, that's much needed there? We're looking at early childhood. All I look in the very near future is four-year-olds to be mandated in South Carolina. That's going to bring on additional space needs. And they have special spaces for early childhood, as you know. And then I see we need to be doing something with three-year-olds. That's where it starts. Our children, we've got to quit bringing kids in from behind. They're too far behind. We've got to get them earlier and do this. So that's going to bring on a challenge for a district like ours that can barely accommodate what we have. And now I'm talking about adding another 1,000, 2,000 students. Where? They have to be specialized rooms. So in bringing outside people, the architects and the, and the companies like yours that, that, that are experts, we're not. I can tell you what I think I need. I need to know if you think it would be a better investment or a greater need from outside based on your knowledge. You're trained. I'm not in that area. That's not my thing. So I'm dependent upon you coming in and seeing if any of this matches and what you would come up with. And, of course, it's always dealing with you. It's always <laughs> disappointing that to me when I first see it. I mean, it's always astronomical number. I go through looking for ways to cut it, and I cannot find a way to cut it. Um, you know, we, we, the price of building, and st- it's just at wild, and we can't control that. That's why we got to get ahead of it before it's only going to get large and larger as it sits there. But some of these needs that that we see have been on the table a long time. They just haven't been addressed and they've built up. So like, like one of my schools is an elementary school, the building's sinking on one end, the building, the rooms are less than 800 square feet. Um, uh, it's, it's just bad, bad shape. The only, I mean, it has to go. We have never been able to afford to tear anything down. We've had to use everything we could find a lot of mobile units. I finally gotten rid of all the mobile units at this school. Now, I need to raise the back of the building at least a minimum and build a two-story building there and putting the lower grades downstairs, design rooms specifically for them, 
and then have the rooms of maybe fourth or fifth grade upstairs, you know, and have the proper restrooms and those kinds of things. Totally outdated what we have. We got to start from scratch. And um, and but in looking at that, and that's been a dream of mine before we had a study done. The study indicates maybe I need to consider tearing down the building altogether and use that wonderful site and just do it right instead of trying to patch it up and do at the end of the day a little bit more would make it first class and make every because a lot of things in the other building would still not be adequate in the future. And so we'd be facing down the line. So those are decisions we're having to make. You know, where does is it just not cost effective to add on, to to redo, I mean to to, to patch up, maybe we just need to raise it and do it. And of course, that brings up another problem. What do you do with the student body uh, while you're doing this on their right. campus? Because we have no other property to build on. So um, those are the, the things that came out of this last study that we had. And again, that's experts with, you know, telling us unbiasedly what to do because they talked with each principal and each principal had their want list and their need list. I have my list that I think is... I'm the only person in the world that has the right answer. We get the study. I see some of my stuff in there. I see some of my stuff. This is not going to work. And I see some of the things the principals have asked for really truly are needed. They weren't wants, their needs. And it just brought us together is that everybody could rally around an outside group of experts helping us to know and where to point the finger and where can we go. And I think that sells well with the public as you try to generate funds and like a referendum, people will support you even in these bad times if you have a plan, a well-thought-out plan and one that involved all the stakeholders throughout the process, students, teachers, parents, the business community, as well as our architects and engineers and other people to make sure we put everything together, our workforce partners, um, economic development, include them so we know we're preparing kids for what they see the future is going to be. That's a good point about uh, the change when it when it occurs uh, just like that is that <clears throat> looking at a, a school and, and its options on how improvements happen, um, I found that through that um, through that assessment process too, a lot of other fact finding um, pieces of information <laughs> were necessary. One of them being uh, demographics because you guys have experienced and still continue even through the pandemic, to to see growth uh, occur in the region and probably at the district level uh, as well. But also, as you say, um, and as you've described um, previously, is using the space differently, using the space better, and being able to, to kind of make it adaptable um, as you go along uh, as well. Mr. Pai, that strategic vision that you're so <laughs> passionate for, um, some of the tools that get you to understanding how that might go into action, uh, though, are probably pretty important. Can you describe maybe a little bit, especially when you're looking at your existing buildings, what are some of the tools uh, that have been effective in making that strategic vision well, a reality? We're constantly looking at our facilities in-house. In but We tend to gloss over things. We tend to be biased on certain things that we know may be needed or not needed. We're so caught up in equity that we won't, no have-not schools. We want everything to be even, and that just doesn't work when you've got a school that's 90 years old and you've got another school that's nine months old. It's different, and you have those challenges of why don't we have what they have type of thing. So we exhaust everything we can in-house to see what our vision is, to make sure our strategic plan captures that. 
Then we seek advice from well-known business partners of ours to come in and, and validate what we think is a problem, but also to stretch it beyond the things that we would not know because it's not our field of expertise. And then we sit and talk about our educational needs and programs, and we match it with, they match it with, with what they feel are the facility requirements to make those, that vision come to pass. So we have to bring them in. We have to build a trusting relationship because sometimes the news is not good. It will cost you more to add on than it would be just to start over. And you don't want to do that because you're attached to these schools. It's part of the history of your community. And you begin to think about what, how do I sell this? But it is, I mean, it's the right thing to do if you think about it. And we just hadn't thought about it. That was not an option. But there it is in for, before you as possibly the best option if you're willing to take that leap. So, again, staying fresh with innovation and trying to stay out in front, not just being futuristic in all of our goals, keeping your solid conservative base that's made you who you are. But you got to keep replacing the roof every so often. you got to put new windows in. You've got you've to update with the times, and especially when you're growing like we've been growing. You, you've got to. We've never caught up, and so you've got to get there. We have to have somebody who can match the numbers of what we have of students, taking them out of the mobile units, and also factoring what the future growth is going to be. So a growth study goes hand-in-hand hand with a facilities assessment. And you put the two together. You put all the right people in the room together. And we finally get this study put together, and it comes to you. Um, and then you have multiple meetings to debrief about what it says. And, um, and you have a lots of chance for input and questions to make sure you're not misrepresenting. And then you begin, you hear some hard criticisms about your wonderful district. This is not good. This should be looked at. This could be a real safety problem for the district. You don't want to hear it because it's millions of dollars. Lord, I need the seats over here. I don't need to be fixing this up. Well, you have to fix it up is what we would recommend. Um, I was so impressed that we always have a facilities walkthrough with the board members every spring, and we look at our in-house small facilities budget to do summer projects and things with. And I looked out there, and um, one of the, your architects was sitting out there in our audience. Um, I don't know if they just heard about it or if we invited them or what, how it came to be. Her, she was watching everything to study, whatever was said on that school. We did school by school. She had to study that she – I didn't have it. I tried to have stuff in my head. I would say, well, I think we decided maybe that's not needed and whatever, and I don't know how much that would cost. Mr. Pye, we said it would cost you $4.5 approximately. Of course, this study's already coming up on a year old. So, and with the prices of construction rising like it is, these numbers are only going to get higher. That's what we saw. Then we get to the place like the school I was mentioning earlier, the wing. Um, Mr. Pye, the wing's a good idea, and we put that in here. But we also layered in that may be the best interest to have a whole new school on that site. It, I felt it was just meaningful. And it's all because of the relationship. It's a trust factor that I trust my staff to come up with what we came up with, our vision. Feel good about it. Sold it to the board and the community. Everybody's on board. We bring experts in who don't know how we arrived at that. They go out. They take their blinders off and they look, look and talk and check and do research and 
check it all out, and then they provide the data back to us. And then our goal is to match it together, to match it with the strategic plan and the vision that we have. And that's what the latest study that we did has done for us. We're very, very thrilled. Of all my years, it's probably the most meaningful thing that we've done with outside groups that hit the target right on. Do I like everything the target hit? No, but it was a reality check. And, and I have spent a lot of time trying to disprove some of the things in there, and I have yet to be able to do that. It's right on target. One thing you did mention that I, that I think might be worthwhile for folks to, to kind of think about, too, because we don't talk a lot about it, but it is that communication uh, strategy, the stakeholder uh, side of it is that you do have um, and you have a, a good rapport with your community. You're always out front and, and making uh, them aware of what's coming, uh, what's coming forward. Uh, how would you suggest others start that process? Is it, is it just about showing up, or is there a strategy back behind it? As long as I've been in this business, you're 100% right. You can't leave the stakeholders out at any point. I mean, whether they agree or disagree, you don't want them to come back later and say, I wish I would have known you were doing this, or someone would have asked my input. I could have saved you a lot of money. A lot of time, I think I have the right answer. Now, occasionally they're wrong. They, you know, they said we did this, and I'm an expert at this. And I don't think this is being done right. And then we get the plans out. We call the person in. The engineer comes in, explains why it was done this way. And of course, OSF said it has to be done this way, or codes or whatever. The person then understands. Building a school is a little bit different than building his house and a little bit different than building the company that he owns and that we have different types of things we have to address for safety and for the fact that the, the buildings are housing kids. Why is the driveway too close to the buffer that's going to be making noise as the buses come in the morning and the evening? Why is that the way? Well, it's a wetland study that says they will allow us to build it right there in no other place. And then, but what we're doing is we're getting traffic off of a road that they fussed about with the other school that's right there. We're able to redesign their entryway too to match this one to keep everything flowing and get all cars off of the, the highway. And for the first time in 30 years. But we've answered everybody's question down to the point of the few things that we could not do. It's going to help the entire area. Yeah. The point too is that it's not just your internal stakeholders, right? It's it's those communities. Oh, I'm telling you, that turns properties. out that's the bigger problem. All, everybody's happy internally. They think this is the best thing since I. And we've included all the principals and the design of the building, all of our middle school principals. We include teachers. The board is constantly giving updates. Well, you have to be proactive about uh, all aspects of it. That's so interesting and good to remember, especially for us as designers too, that that we need to reach out. Uh, and make sure that others are aware of what's going on uh, around a property, both in the design aspect, but also through construction. That's correct. Uh, as well. You know, you, you've overseen a whole lot of change, right? I mean, so I, I think what we've been talking about mostly is, is change. It's always evolving. It's always changing. You hope for, um, for the better and progressing toward a, a better outcome for, for students. Where in the world do you get all this energy? from you've been doing this for 22 years how have how have you how do you stay motivated uh, i have a very this? good staff that helps me i've had down through the years very supportive school boards and generally a good name in our community now there's probably a fashion says when is this old man gonna finally go because <laughs> you know you climb so many mountains and you get to the top of the highest mountain that you can see you there and you're so proud of what you've done and you just look ahead and the cloud moves away and there's a mountain even higher in front of you. And those, that's been growing through the years. 
Uh, this is not the time to leave. Uh, this is a we're at the crossroad with our district, as they, most districts are. You know, we can make it or we can break it. And I, I, I just feel comfortable that 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 I have the team working together. We can finish up some of these major issues. But but I I am looking for that time that that it needs to. I want fresh ideas. We want a fresh approach. Um, and sometimes I have the historical viewpoint, and I would always be available for that. And I keep going back to this is what we've done. I've got to get out of that mindset because those conditions don't exist anymore. Those kind of people don't exist anymore. Everything's changed, not just the codes. Everything has changed. And so rapidly that even though we've been changing with it, it could become a dangerous situation if we miss too many hoops along the way. So I, I, I think it, you know that, that has to be something that every district faces. Probably what's made us strong is not me. It's the stability of the position. One superintendent for 20-something years, a superintendent who's been in the district for 48 years in every position. I know the people. I know the. Um, there was a period of 10 years that I interviewed and hired everybody who was hired during that decade, many of who are there now. So I know them firsthand. Everybody that's in our district that's in an administrative role, every single person was promoted by me. There's nobody left that when I started. So um, I feel good about that. So it's my team. So if it doesn't function, that's who I, I rallied together. But I, I'll put them up against anybody. So I think surround yourself with good people. Keep fresh, particularly if you're like me in the twilight of your years. Don't let your historical wisdom and perspective override an eye on the future too. You know, don't don't be so set and conservative in your ways. Be be very watchful and mindful because I've experienced a lot. But don't let innovation and all fall on the wayside because we've got to keep up with the times. Well, you certainly have a passion for for education and and that change uh, environment that keeps happening day in and day out. I just really appreciate uh, first the work that we've done together, but also uh, thank you for joining us today. I hope this has been helpful for some of our viewers. Uh, hopeful, hopeful that it's helpful uh, in in looking at how districts uh, really prepare for change and continually prepare for change in the future. Thank you. If anybody needs to ask me any questions or come check our district out, they're welcome to do so. Thank you, Mr. Pye. Idea Exchange, the Future of K-12 Education podcast series is brought to you by McMillan Pastant Smith. The K-12 studio at McMillan Pastant Smith is focused on helping schools prepare future-ready students. Have a question for me or a topic you'd like to address? Please complete the contact form listed in the episode description. Thanks for tuning in to Idea Exchange, the Future of K-12 Education series. This series is recorded at Bramble Jam Studios in Greenville, South Carolina. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode.